common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. We got Miranda Devine. Miranda Devine had a blockbuster column. It was the lead of the New York Post today. Everybody's talking about it. Of course, the great New York Post and Fox News contributor. And uh, Miranda, you're here with Rita Cosby on Katz and Cosby. And Miranda, your column, I think, blew the lid off Dr. Fauci. Tell us about it. Tell all our great listeners. Hi, Rita. Hi, John. Um, Look, what we found yesterday, these were these new emails released by the Republicans and the House Oversight Committee. And what that showed us was that uh, basically Dr. Fauci was incredibly deceptive when he uh, commissioned a scientific paper specifically to disprove the theory that the COVID-19 virus had leaked from the lab in Wuhan, China. Um, That was inconvenient to him because, of course, the NIH had funded uh, a a, a so-called non-profit in New York, which was uh, actually overseeing that um, very dangerous gain-of-function research on bat coronaviruses. And... uh, There was a lot of evidence at that point, and we had Mike Pompeo, of course, he was then the Secretary of State and former CIA, as well as President Trump, saying that a lot of evidence was pointing towards the Wuhan lab, uh, some sort of a leak there being the problem and the source of this pandemic. And that was back in February of 2020. And you can see behind the scenes from these just newly released emails that Dr. Fauci was beavering away as fast as he could with a lot of effort to uh, get other scientists to write this paper, basically poo-pooing the whole uh, virus idea. You can see in other emails that one of these authors says that they've written the paper specifically uh, to push back on that theory and disprove it. And Dr. Fauci then, a few weeks after he'd commissioned this paper and it had been published, um, he stands up at the podium next to Donald Trump at a coronavirus briefing in front of the journalists. And he's asked, um, could this have come from the Wuhan lab? And he just very casually says, well, there happens to be a paper that was just published by these very eminent evolutionary biologists. And and basically it shows that, no, it couldn't have come from a lab. It emerged naturally. And uh, I, I don't really know who the authors were, but I can get you that paper. Pretending he knows nothing about the paper, citing it as an authority, and effectively killing off that theory and stopping us from being able to hold China accountable and potentially put pressure on China to actually allow uh, us to see what the origins of the coronavirus was and ensure that nothing like this happens again. I remember I'm the one that interviewed Dr. Fauci on January 2020 and was, uh, I think Fox uh, was playing it all along for the last uh, last year or two. It was blockbuster. And uh, he, uh, uh, you know, the the joke I was saying, either Dr. Fauci, either he he either he believed it or he was lying about it. One or the other. What do you think, Miranda? I mean, now, based on what you're saying, why would he not acknowledge he wrote it? Why has he gone to such great lengths? to stay away from a lab leak? Well, obviously, he's trying to mislead the public. 
that that is clear when you know his input his involvement in that paper he had uh you know he was uh, there to edit the draft he had final approval he commissioned it uh he knew exactly what it was all about and yet he's pretending to journalists a few weeks later that, oh, just casually this was written, he knows nothing about it, doesn't know anything about the authors. So obviously he's being deceptive. So the next question is, why is he being deceptive? Well, we know that he was a great proponent of this Frankenstein research called gain-of-function research into viruses, which um, genetically modifies them to be more lethal to humans. And that's what happened to this bat coronavirus in Wuhan. And that's he what was, Robert Redfield said, too, right along. You know, that was the CDC director of Trump who said it looks like it's man-made, that it's so toxic, it's so, uh, you know, fast and spreading. Uh, this is a blockbuster. Well, Pete King, according you know, to one of our doctors, our regular doctors, I think it was a Dr. Michalos that says they, uh, China is developing a, a uh, virus that could target a specific DNA. In other words, it could target uh, Cherokee Indians or it could target Irish or it could target Australians or whatever. Not Polish, right? Not Polish. Okay, good. All right, good. Pete King, you have a question too, right? I'm just going to say that uh, what are the chances of Fauci's reputation surviving all this, Miranda? Well, the problem is that, um, you know, as we know, the media is highly polarized these days. And so um, you might hear about it on WABC or read about it in the New York Post or on Fox News, but you won't necessarily see it on MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, It really depends on uh, how dishonest the half of the media is, whether they want to continue to keep half of the country in the dark and still believing that Dr. Fauci was a hero. Um, you know, we, we still don't know the full extent of Dr. Fauci's deceptions. We don't know the full extent of the funding of EcoHealth Alliance, that New York uh, supposed nonprofit that the, the, the guy who ran it was great friends with Dr. Fauci. You can see in these revealed emails how pally they were and how they, you know, um, this Peter Daszak sucked up to Dr. Fauci. We have photographs of them together. So, um, and Peter Daszak was the one who was sort of the go-between with the Wuhan lab. And they were doing research that should not have been done at such a low-level laboratory with, with low-level security uh, procedures. And in fact, the State Department had been warned previously by U.S. intelligence that this lab was a problem, that it was really sloppy and that they shouldn't be doing this kind of dangerous research. And yet we had Dr. Fauci's outfit funding EcoHealth Alliance, which was basically overseeing this very sloppy, dangerous research, which shouldn't have been done. I mean, it had been banned under the Obama administration, and Dr. Fauci, it seems, had cleverly gone around the ban by outsourcing to China, which was a complete unmitigated disaster, quite obviously. And that is why Dr. Fauci is being deceptive, because he does not want to have the finger pointed at him. Miranda, is there any possible good government argument or defense that Fauci could make? Well, yes, and he makes it often. He says, yeah, well, I... The one that's believable, I mean. Yeah, that's a that's a harder bar there, Pete. <laughs> well, you know, if you're playing devil's advocate, if you're going to be his defense attorney, uh, if it comes to that, um, his argument is that I ran a huge operation. We gave 
you know, billions of funds out. Um, I, I, how, I can't be expected to know exactly where the money went. And, you know, I didn't know that they were doing this. But that is hard to sustain when you see so many emails that have now come out. I think, so many different, Miranda, yeah. I think, remember the old expression, something rotten in Denmark? I think something's rotten in Washington. Yeah, no yes. question. And also, Miranda, it's how could you, in all the conversations, and I remember I've interviewed people who were in the room with Trump when they were discussing Wuhan. He never brought up any ties to the Wuhan lab. I mean, you would think you'd remember. I if, think there's something we don't know. Yeah. And if the FBI knows, uh, if Washington knows, I'm sure they know. Somebody has to just say it. And I hope the Department of Justice is not holding him back from saying it. Yeah, and, I hope so, and too. Miranda, you know, it's easy, not easy. We've got to understand why... Uh, uh, an initial mistake could have been made. But once it was there, Fauci, to me, the real malpractice there is not coming clean with it at that time. You know, account for mistake and then go forward rather than playing a charade for three years. Not revealing it, even yeah. to the president yeah. and other. It's like there's a spill uh, of chocolate and the Hershey factory is right up the street. And you go, oh, no, it didn't happen there. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. You know, I mean, Miranda, so many questions. Your column is Blockbuster, Miranda. We love you. Thank you for being here. Really great stuff. Thanks, everyone. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, joining us now here on Katz and Cosby, we have Melissa DeRosa, of course, former Deputy Chief of Staff to New York Attorney General and also Secretary to Governor Cuomo, his right-hand aide. Uh, Melissa, you wrote a blockbuster column and the Daily Beast uh, talking about AOC going to the Met Gala. We all remember her dress that made tons of headlines. But you you uncovered some of the price tags behind us. And it basically shows why the public, quote, doesn't trust politicians. That was sort of the subtitle. Tell us hey, about wait the a minute, big Wait bucks. a minute on that. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Peter King. <laughs> Other than Peter King. Everyone trusts Congressman King. Thanks, um, Melissa. No, you know, it's, I've been, we've all sort of been watching this drama unfold since she attended the Met Gala in the fall of 2021. You know, shows up in that, that gown saying tax the rich. And, you know, at the time it turned a lot of heads, but then it sort of went away and has resurfaced because the House Ethics Committee has done an investigation that looks like she may have potentially, you know, violated some ethics rules of the House in terms of accepting gifts illegally and, you know, potentially even possibly breaking federal law. And so, you know, I started to dig into it, as I'm sure a lot of people, you know, who are listening have as well read the coverage. And, you know, this the bottom line is the socialist empress has no clothes. You know, she she purports to rail against capitalism and speak for the people and you know, she was one of the main drivers behind killing the Amazon deal, coming to New York, which would have created thousands of jobs. And, you know, she wants to raise taxes. She constantly is criticizing the 1%. And here she was, hob- not just hobnobbing amongst the 1%, but doing it in a, you know, a $3,000 dress. She took, the, the, of all the figures, the one that really stuck to me was she took a car service from her home in her district to the Carlisle Hotel that cost one way car service six hundred dollars. Oh my goodness! Wait, 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 wait! How far? Like we're talking like you know? I mean, like half hour ride. Taxpayers? That's what I'm saying. Couldn't have been more than what? No, not the taxpayers. Hasn't she ever heard of Uber? (laughs) Well, and you know, it's you know, I've taken car services in my day. I'm sure you guys have too. It's like, was the car made of 14 karat gold? Like, what is a six hundred dollar ten mile car ride take? So. In any event, that, that's sort of what the column digs into. But 
the bottom line is, I think that, you know, she sort of exposed herself to be a fraud and a phony. Yeah, Melissa, to be honest with you, when this story first broke, I thought it was some kind of a technicality that her staff didn't get, you know, the correct approval. But the more this comes out, it's like a flagrant disregard, especially coming from this great socialist heroine. I mean, you know, the, the hair, the makeup, the Carlisle Hotel. The, Soliciting uh, it, too. And also, that's a, you know, I thought maybe you know, mm. they made a mistake in how they got the tickets, but apparently they maneuvered this whole thing to try to get around the law. And it's all there in emails and texts. So to me, this is really, you know, the height of There's a lot of hypocrisy in everything, in law and business, politics. But this, to me, is flagrant hypocrisy. I want to get into the car service business after this. Wow, we're in the so wrong Melinda, business. Melinda, there's been a lot. Steve Moore here. There's been a lot of talk about... AOC running for the Senate or running for governor. And what do you make of that, given these new revelations? You know, look, even before these revelations, I think the concept of AOC running for governor is a joke. You know, she is a she's a talking head. She, you know, has her talking points. She rails, you know, against the man, against business, against capitalism. But at the end of the day, look, as left as New York State is or people believe New York State to be, I don't believe someone with AOC's politics could win citywide, let alone statewide. And so, you know, I think she I think she likes to dangle herself out there. I think she enjoys the attention. I think Mm -hmm. it keeps her relevant. But, you know, I don't think that she could win for mayor. I don't think, you know, I don't think that there would be any chance of that. I think if anything, she would end up you know, motivating the middle and the right and the left of center to come out in a tsunami and defeat her in either a primary yeah. or a general, so yeah. long as the Republican wasn't nuts. You're right about that, especially given what happened in Chicago last week, where Lori Lightfoot Melissa, just could not. You she know could not. About it. Yeah, I'm a Chicagoan. Uh, All right. Uh, Chicago, uh, but, you got but, good against yeah, evil. But even that, you know, city, which is pretty liberal, they said, hey, we want to get crime off the street. We want to get taxes down. We want to, you know, have our city be livable. We want to do something about out of school. So I agree with you. I think, you know, people are common sense and they don't want ideologues in these positions of power. Yeah. And even Eric Adams came out uh, over the weekend yesterday yeah, and made tons of headlines saying, yeah. you know what, uh, this is a wake up call to yes. America. What yeah. happened yeah. in Chicago? No, it's a wake up call no, to the Democratic you, Party. They're both Democrats that are in the playoff now. Well, and, you know, it's also it's not just Chicago. If you remember not that long ago out in San Francisco, where there's been a terrible issue with homelessness and crime, they recalled their district attorney who they felt wasn't holding people properly accountable. And San Francisco is as liberal as they come. So, you know, I think that that's another issue with the far left wing of the Democratic Party is they sort of think that this is an ideology issue or it's an issue of party. No, people want quality of life. People want to feel safe. People want to be able to afford to live in the cities where they work. And, you know, these other policies are making those things impossible. And so I think Eric Adams is right. I don't think they speak for the Democratic Party writ large. But uh, to steal what Congressman Pink King said at the start of this, I think that this AOC issue has just demonstrated sort of the height of hypocrisy. It's like you don't even believe what you spout. And so I think it's it's really undermined her brand. And I think it could continue to be a headache for her ethically and legally for a little while. But certainly in the tabloids and in the press writ large. You know, I want to ask you, Melissa, too, we were talking at the top of the show and we were like, we were looking at this before the show. We're like, is this the wrong headline? Um, It's in, you brought up San Francisco. They are deporting. It's a San Francisco County supervisor uh, is telling San Franciscos this week, San Franciscans, that the U.S. shouldn't deport illegal immigrant drug dealers for selling fentanyl, that it goes against a sanctuary city policy. I mean, where are these loonies coming from? But, you know, that, and that's the kind of discussion where when people feel like 
like criminals are be- the interests of criminals or the protections rights of criminals are being put above their their own right to live and exist in a place that's safe. And that's where you really lose people is when you have that be the center of your your dialogue and your conversations and your priorities. And so, you know, again, I think that the the last election cycle, I think, should have could have turned out very differently had the Republicans not had some of these really crazy candidates in Georgia and in Pennsylvania. But it, it makes me nervous that the Democratic Party is, is sort of like not internalizing these messages over and over again with the San Francisco DA, with the Chicago mayor. You know, what we're seeing play out in New York, we, we elected Eric Adams It's because he was pro-cop. He said all the right things. He wants to clean up the city. You know, they didn't want somebody who was far to left like de Blasio. So, you know, to your point, common sense, middle of the road, you know, public safety, lower my taxes, affordability. It all sort of fits with the general theme of how normal people want to exist. But then also on the flip side, you got Alvin Bragg, too, who hasn't changed as, you know, well, sort of soft DA on crime pros. The different thing. We got yeah. to, the governor has to deal. He has, he has the power to deal with the uh, DAs that are not uh, pushing the uh, law enforcement. Melissa? She does. Yeah, she certainly does have that authority. I mean, I think at the moment it feels like in New York City there's been a little bit of a reprieve in the constant headlines about the crime in the city. And, you know, you're seeing in the numbers that Eric Adams has been putting out that crime is, in fact, going down. And so I think if that trend holds, you take some of the pressure off of that. But, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change the dynamic entirely. And I think that people are sort of sick of it. Melissa, we we have to uh, go to another guest. But. April 1st, we're going to do Hochul. Governor Hochul has to decide who is the governor. She has to put her foot down. That's when the budget is due. And she has the ability, according to Governor Patterson, to put her foot down against the, the state Senate. And April 4th, good against evil in Chicago. Uh, we have Man. Paul Vallis, uh, who is good, wants law enforcement. And then you have the guy that Johnson who uh, wants to defund the police, and that's, uh, you know, we'll defund, see what happens. Defund, not defend, right? Defund, yeah, defund, <laughs> defund <laughs> big time. Ballas <laughs> wants to defend, <laughs> Jones wants to defund. Thank you, Melissa. <laughs> Melissa, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, and- bye. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Now we're going to Steve Moore. Steve, what the heck is going on in the economy? I mean, uh, fill us in. Well, I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal today with Art Laffer, and uh, we point out, you know, talking about the the demise of New York. In the last 10 years, John, New York has almost lost, not quite, but almost a net 2 million residents to wow. other states. Wow, over how New York long? State? In just 10 years. New York City. The state. The state two has lost 2 million, million people. So, well, well, you know why? where they are? What's that? They're in Florida. Yeah, well, Florida I, don't know what the, I said this. I, you know, our friend Lee Zeldin would have been uh, elected governor had all the Republicans not stayed, moved to right, Florida. Right. And, what's that? If they'd stayed here, yeah, right, if they'd yeah. stayed here. So, look, something's wrong in the state. It's not just New York. We looked at California. We looked at Connecticut. We looked at New Jersey. These states, all together, including my home state of Maryland, I live in the in the swamp, but in the Maryland side. Five and a half million people have lost these, left these blue states. What's the message there? You can't keep raising taxes. You got to get back to the basics, making cities work, making the states work. Taxes is one thing, but you got to keep people safe in the streets. They want to be able to walk out and go to a restaurant. 
Yeah, and feel safe. Life. That's look, no look question. Look what happened. They killed kill a grocery worker on Sunday. Yeah, this is crazy. And then they kill, And somebody was stabbed in front of the Brooklyn Diner on 57th yeah. Street. And oh, by the way, the one, uh, the grocery store, this was a wild case. It was a guy dressed in a hazmat uniform uh-huh. shows up. And I that, mean, it's these random crimes. Well, look what Steve. happened in Atlanta, where they, the, the, what they call Cop City. Yes. You got people, you know, I don't know what they were throwing at the police, but they were explosives. Molotov or, cocktails. And, 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 you know, this is outrageous. This is America. We're not Beirut, for goodness sakes. So uh, I am concerned about these blue states. They have to get back to, I like what Melissa said. Just well, get let's back start, to common let's start, sense. Let's start policies. with Chicago. Let's yes. vote for this guy, Paul Vallis. I want, yeah. uh, let's support him. Anybody you know that lives in Chicago, call him up. Tell them to go over there and make sure you, their yeah. relatives vote for. Do you know what Brandon Absolutely. Johnson's job is? He's a he's a teachers union organizer. He's not going to take on the unions, and he's, he's the one that wants to defund and, the police. Yeah, and he's made and, it very did public. Did you see this one, uh, Rita? That he um, was asked about the shoplifting problem, and you know what he said. It's not the shoplifters, it's society that's yeah. responsible. You know what's scary? That sounds like Lori Lightfoot, who blamed the stores. Exactly. That is crazy, Absolutely. so dangerous. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Joining us now here on Katz and Cosby is Daniel Henniger uh, with the Wall Street Journal, deputy editor. Lots of things going on here, Dan. And uh, you want to talk, I know, about Chicago and the mayor's race and crime, one of the big topics. Uh, tell us about where you see this headed. Well, uh, the Chicago uh, mayoral race is obviously headed to a runoff. And uh, you guys sound like having way too much fun to be talking about crime in Chicago. But uh, that is the real world, uh, a, real, a world that Steve Moore uh, knows very well. I'm a Chicagoan. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, New York had its own mayoral election a little while ago. Eric Adams won. He was running against uh, progressives. And uh, the people of New York, especially the people in the outer boroughs, the inner city neighborhoods, they voted for Eric Adams. And the question is whether Chicago is in the process of trying to save itself from chaos and anarchy. Uh, In the election they had last week, the incumbent mayor, Lori Lightfoot, was essentially fired. She came in third. She could not get into the runoff. So now you have a runoff against uh, the reform candidate, Paul Vallis, who used to run the school system there, he was CEO and instantly ran the school system in uh, New Orleans after Katrina and uh, really turned it into a, a kind of a success story. But now he's running uh, as a uh, candidate who wants to reform the school system, but more importantly, get a handle on crime in Chicago. His opponent is Brandon Johnson. And Johnson is a former organizer for the uh, Chicago Teachers Union. And undoubtedly, is, I mean, the Teachers Union contributed a million dollars <laughs> to Johnson's campaign. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. Are you saying to me, we had uh, Randy uh, Weingarten. Weingarten on the show a couple of days ago. She contributed a million dollars to Johnson's campaign? 
Oh, well, my Chicago, God. Go, oh, yeah. Well, she sounded yeah. like an advertisement for Johnson. <laughs> Remember right after we had Vallis on and she's like, wait, I want to talk about Johnson. Hey, hey, Dad, no, no. Yeah, this is Pete King. I can interrupt you for one second. Uh, you know, it's very seldom in races like this. You have two clear-cut candidates and choices. And this really is uh, either anti-crime or anti-cop. And to have, uh, to me, it's up to people in Chicago. If they don't like violence, they don't, again, they, they can never complain again. I mean, the fact is they, they have their chance now to turn the city around, stop crime, and really do the right thing. So how does it look to you out there? Well, uh, you know, it's a little bit hard to predict, Pete. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I am getting to the point where one begins to lose patience with these northern cities, uh, especially with the progressive prosecutors that get elected. I mean, uh, they keep getting elected. Uh, they out there, you know, uh, and people are voting for them. And uh, you get kind of the consequences that you voted for. In Chicago, it's going to be interesting because Dallas, the Brad Johnson, the guy he's running against, has talked about defunding the police, and uh, he has refused to commit himself to filling. They have 1,700 police vacancies in the New York City, a Chicago police department, and he's kind of refused to commit to refilling all those jobs. And the question is, are the people in the inner city neighborhoods of Chicago, have they had enough, just as they did when Eric Adams ran? And I went through all the voting tallies in New York and the people in the most crime-ridden neighborhoods in New York City, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, they voted by and large preponderantly for Eric Adams, the anti-crime candidate. In Chicago, you always have the issue of racial politics. Dallas is, in fact, the white candidate. Uh, and, uh, Johnson is the black candidate. I think Johnson's going to play the race card. Uh, and the question is whether Dallas can assemble enough voters who are sick and tired of the crime in that city to win against the teachers union and the public unions, incidentally, because Johnson, the former teachers union organizer, is the one who'll be negotiating the contract. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, oh, my God. Wow. This is good against evil. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, Dan Henniger, thank you so much. This is such important information. We're going to be on this uh, here at Cats and Cosby because this is big, big stuff. Great to have you here, the deputy editor of the Wall Street Journal. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. Big stunning number that came out just a few days ago that it is costing New York City between 5 to $10 million a day to house and feed illegal migrants. And joining us now here on Cats and Cosby to talk about it is current New York City Council member, Democrat Bob Holden. Uh, Councilman Holden, we're so glad to have you here on the show. What was your reaction? This is a stunning number. It's like $500 million a year. And we're not over with it yet. It's going to keep going on. We, we're taking care of right now 31,000 migrants. Of course, uh, we had about almost 50,000 migrants have come through the system. But imagine going forward and caring for 30,000, over 30,000 migrants and feeding them, clothing them, giving them shelter. That's going to impact our budget. It's going to impact our residents because it's going to be less money for them, taxpaying New Yorkers. It's a nightmare here. Again, what I said to the mayor, send the invoice to the White House for this. 
Yeah, but the White House doesn't even seem to want to pay for anything. I mean, they've they've no. basically said we're not going to help. It's your problem. I mean, how can yeah. any how can any city sustain it, Councilman? Nobody can. We can, no city. We should do this. And by the way, Biden and Hochul have been MIA. Definitely, they've not commented on this. There again, I would send a bill to the White House, passed due in red. You need to come up with billions of dollars here, and we keep asking. But they don't get back to us. Bob, FEMA is not giving us answers. Yeah, Bob, this is Pete King. What political power does the mayor have right now to go after the governor and the president without burning all those bridges? But this really is a, a crisis moment. I'm mean, just thinking how many cops you could hire with that money. Exactly. But there's so many other things we can do. Our kids could have more in schools. Our our roads could be better. Everything could be better. It's just this is a— you know, why, why are we taking care of the people from South America and Central America— Instead of taking care of the American poor. Yeah, we got so many homeless veterans. Yeah, turn the buses around, I say. No more. That's it. You know, we can't fit any more people here. We can't pay for it. Well, Mr. Holden, uh, you have to yell, keep yelling, yelling, yelling at the city council. And and, uh, we'll give you a microphone here. The rest of the city council has to acknowledge you can't keep feeding uh, Central Americans, South Americans without and, and keeping the American poor poor. Hey, Bob, keep up the great work, really. You're a voice of reason there on the Democratic thanks, side. Thanks, Congressman. But, but you know what? The, the, this city council is going to come up with more bills that are going to give out more things. Give, give them cell phones. You'll see. They're going to give out, oh, we have to give them free medical. We have to do this and that. It's a nightmare. Well, there's and- elections coming up in the city council in November, aren't there? Yes. Well, you got to give us guidance. So we're going to take a full page ads in the newspapers and tell and tell you who voted for what. Bravo. That would be great. That would be wonderful because we need to get the word out. Don't we're going to get the word out. Yeah, Councilman, don't vote for these people. You yeah. are terrific. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, fighting the good fight there. Democratic Councilman, too. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. Today is uh, the Bill O'Reilly. And uh, Bill, what the heck is going on? Um, what's going on? <laughs> I, I, uh, I took particular note of the uh, Suffolk County, Long Island DA excoriating Governor Hochul and the legislature in Albany over the drug dealing thing. Mm. Um, so the big picture is this, it's not about, um, an individual, it's about a culture. So when I was growing up in Levittown, if you were selling hard drugs there, you could get a serious beating. Drug dealers had to stay very mysterious. They couldn't go out in public and say, yeah, if you want some heroin, come on over here. They were looked upon as almost lepers. Right. Um, it was the worst thing that you could do is to sell hard drugs to kids. It was happening. Um, a few of my friends got involved with it, and one of them died, and the other one to prison. Um, but it was not acceptable. Today it is acceptable to sell even dangerous drugs like fentanyl and heroin. Because of the hip-hop culture primarily, where drug dealing is glorified, a guy like Jay-Z, who's the biggest uh, in that world, is a former crack dealer and uh, is almost on the street looked upon as a prestigious occupation. 
So that infection and contagion has gotten into the political mindset where you now can be arrested by police. And these arrests are not easy to make. And you can be booked and charged and not held on bail for selling dangerous drugs that can kill people, poison that can kill people. Bill, uh, Does this make any sense to any human being? Well, Is I was just anyone gonna... who can defend that? Bill, uh, Steve Moore here, and, and I wanted to react to what you were saying with a statistic and get your re- reaction to this. You know, the number one cause of death of young people in America today is drug overdoses. It, this is an epidemic. And the fact that the politicians no, it's do murder. nothing about it. It's not an epidemic. It's murder. It's murder. Because yeah. uh, it's a poison. The, 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 they're, they're poisoning they're be, our kids. They're poisoning our kids. So, yeah, and it's coming through say you our that? border. Well, look. The society in New York and the United States has to make a decision. Are we going to be libertine and let people die because we're too cowardly or apathetic to draw a line? Mm -hmm. So now we have children in New York City, primarily, who go to school, middle school, high school. And before they go to class, they ingest a gummy bear full of THC marijuana. The gummy bear is sold to them by heroin addicts who need money to buy heroin. So they go in and they get the gummy bear from the legal pot shops. They take it out and they sell it to the children. That, that's an unintended consequence of legal marijuana. So now you've got 13, 12-year-old Children going to school stoned. Mm. And this is not going to be something that stops. It's going to increase as more marijuana shops open. So it's the entire drug culture. And the problem with the fentanyl people who die is that they are almost committing suicide. So the rationalization is, well, they're not innocent. And they're not. They're not. They're buying poison. They know it's poison. And, and they do it anyway because most drug addicts want to die. You don't go into that world if you want to be a prosperous human, human being. You don't. You go in if you are mentally and emotionally disabled. So therefore, it becomes you know, a rationalization on the part of society. But the people who sell they are evil. And I don't care if they're addicted. I don't care. They are evil. They don't care what happens to the person they sell to. They couldn't. Yet we allow them to prosper, to make money, because we will not punish. And and San Francisco won't deport them. What I said the other the other morning on Fox, I said I said that on the kids, if it doesn't kill them. When, when kids take marijuana uh, at 12, 14, 16, 18 years old, up to the age of 22, neurologists will tell you their IQ, their, 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 their brain is going to drop 15%. So you, you end up with, with a guy less intelligent, less able to get a job. And that's the other thing we've got to worry about. 
So scary. You know, and by the way, the thing that John was talking about, did you see this also, Bill, in uh, San Francisco? They're deporting fentanyl dealers. They're saying deporting them violates sanctuary city policies. Yeah, I, That's astounding. There's that, a few nuts. But San Francisco, uh, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, has ruined itself. Yeah. I don't feel sorry for San Francisco at all. I'm trying to save New York City. I think there are more people here with common sense, the name of my 9 p.m. program on WABC, than there are in San Francisco. I I don't see the population out there uh, outraged about any of this. The unintended consequences of children using drugs is their childhood evaporates. They're no longer children. And they get led into a world of promiscuity often. All right. Of uh, crude behavior across the board. They lose respect for all the uh, rules of society. And they're literally destroyed at an age where they cannot even make a cogent decision. And most of these children are basically captives because their parents are derelict emotionally or physically. They don't care about the child. You couldn't care. I mean, if my children were on dope, I would know it and I would stop it. And if I knew who was selling the dope to them, I would hurt that person. Hey, Bill, this is Pete King. Bill, you say you have more faith in people with common sense in New York. How much faith do you have? And where are we going to be three years from now? I don't know because the we shouldn't have enough collective outrage congressman in this state. So Steve Moore gave an interesting stat. We've lost over the past tw- uh, 10 years, more than 2 million or 2 million citizens. 90% of those citizens were responsible, affluent people right. yep. paying taxes yep. to the state. They have been replaced many times by people who do not pay any tax. That's true. Who are on the entitlement train. And that's when the society starts to collapse, when you don't have enough money to do basic services. And you're going to start to see that soon because the exodus out of New York is not nearly Mm. complete. By the way, did you see this number too, Bill, that – Five to ten million dollars a day is basically the cost that New York City is incurring to house and feed illegal migrants. Uh, I mean, that's a how does any city sustain that? Like you talked about this exodus bill and then yet incurring more costs. Mayor Mayor Adams is a sanctuary city guy. And this is what that insane policy leads to. All right. So every pernicious policy that New York City, New York State, the United States of America embraces has unintended consequences. Yet there are few people willing to stand up anymore and say no. And the best example is Kathy Hochul was reelected. If you want a person like that running your state, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of people leave. 
Wow, what a powerful well, statement. Well, they are leaving. Yeah. According to statistics, 484,000 New Yorkers have moved, and a lot of them were upper middle class millionaires, and the, the loss of tax money from those people we had control of Napoli on last week, and he said, well, we're okay for this year, but we're, I'm scared for year two, three, four, and five. Didn't you say that, Rita? Yeah, he did. And then Florida. Remember, we had the CEO of Florida who was saying on the other end, come they're all, down. yeah, come on down, and they're sure. incentivizing. I mean, they're, they're the beneficiaries because that state has drawn the line. Well, Bill O'Reilly, what are you going to talk about today? We were almost out of time. At 9 o'clock, Bill O'Reilly, WABC. I'm going to leave with NBC News. You don't want to miss it. Oh, we'll definitely be tuning in. He always has an awesome show, 9 9 o'clock. 10 o'clock on WABCradio.com, BillOReilly.com. Thank you, Bill O'Reilly, and thank you for for giving wisdom to our uh, American people. And thank you, uh, Steve Moore. More money. WABC, Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. And what do we stand for? (laughs) Truth, Truth, justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless America.